Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. If you've got your Bibles this morning, can I get the house lights back? There you go. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I got to see you. I got to see you. I'm afraid if it's too dark, I know what will happen out there. I know what will happen. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, um, turn, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to be reading out of Genesis, so just be ready to kind of kind of flip uh, around this morning. So um, I've had this uh, on my heart to, to, to preach uh, for a month or so and just decided October would be the time. And then I feel like the events of uh, the last several weeks kind of confirmed to me the moment of, of this as well. So I've called today last days. It's a term that we'll talk about. We see it in the scripture, but we'll talk about it in, in just a moment. So we're going to talk a little bit today about biblical prophecy. And prophecy is not designed just uh, to satisfy a curiosity that we have uh, or, or just uh, have a discussion and debate on end time events. Biblical prophecy is not a fantasy or a fairy tale. It is God giving us a little insight into present day and future events so that we will be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the the reason that it is. Now, we live in a crazy time. The events of the world that you see on the news, we live in an unbelievable time of unfolding uh, prophetic events. Implications. I'm not an expert in any way, but I try to be a student of history and of the word uh, and of and current events as well. In my opinion, we are not walking away from biblical prophecy. We are walking into with an, an amazing, unbelievable accuracy of, uh, of what, what God's word says about the end time. Now, nowhere... Anyone that you talk to believes that we are internationally or domestically, that we are headed into good times. You know, uh, no one thinks that we're getting close to uh, some type of nirvana or some type of earthly utopia that all of the ills of society will be uh, done away with and it will be replaced with peace, love, prosperity and generosity. Nobody really believes that. And a lot of people look around at what is going on in the world and they look kind of with anxiety and fear. And some of that I think is understandable today. So I want to talk this morning about the biblical significance of what we are seeing in our world in in relation to prophecy and the return of Christ. Now, this subject can, can bring a little confusion, you know, uh, especially, you know, if you, if you don't know a lot about it. Now, there are a lot of you that are here today. You've been in the church a long time. You have a, a decent concept. If I use 
terms like tribulation, antichrist, Armageddon, you would kind of have some understanding of that. For some of you, it sounds like a sci-fi movie, right? Kind of a cra- crazy movie. So if you're, if, you're new, <clears throat> if you're new to faith and you're new to the Bible, I want to just kind of come very simply this morning, and some of these things may be new concepts to you, but you can learn Bible prophecy in reverse. You can look on the news and go, my goodness, what is going on in the news? And then you can see that there's some biblical, uh, biblical implications of that as well. So if you're new, <clears throat> I'm going to try to keep it simple for you. I'm going to give you two main concepts of biblical prophecy and then hopefully fill in some of the details for everyone along the way. Now, the disciples and Jesus started having this conversation about things that would happen before the end of the world, okay? They started this conversation, and I want to read it as well. So you will see there's biblical understanding and and accuracy when we talk about this topic. So Matthew 24 and 3, his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will be your sig- will signal your return and the end of the world? That was the question that they asked him. And then he, he gave a response to that that I'm going to read in just a few minutes. So uh, we see that, that Jesus talks about there's a finality to the time that we live. Second Peter 3 and 3 says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning. Last days. Second Timothy says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with these people. 1 Timothy 4. The Spirit clearly says that in the last days, some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So on multiple occasions, the Bible uses the term last days. Now that's an unusual sentence and it's an unusual phrasing as well. What does the term last days really mean? It gives us an understanding that the time in which we live and the society in which we live does not go on forever, but there is a point that it comes to the end. Time and society as we know it ends. So, and then it says last days implies that before it ends, there are going to be unusual things that will occur so that you will know that you are in the last days. Last days, plural, 
indicates that there must be a last day singular or a final, final day. So, so last days before what? What is the last days? What's it referring to the last days before? What is the big ending of time as we see it and know it? It's a great question. So if you're, if you're new, I'm going to give you two things this morning. If you're kind of new to this concept, and I, I want to say it's, it's very complicated, but I'm trying to bring it down to two things that I feel like stand out in this, in this topic uh, kind, of, kind of more than the others. So uh, number one, <clears throat> Israel and the Jewish people, okay? You're seeing this on the news a lot, okay? And I want to give you some understanding of what has happened. I'm going to talk about what is happening right now. I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But I want you to realize that there is a significance to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. So from the very beginning of time, you know, our very beginning of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, Israel and the Jewish people have been central to the Scripture and also central to our, to our world history. We believe that some 5,000 years ago that God made a covenant with the Jewish people. God establishes a covenant with and gives a land and gives land to the Jewish people. We believe, we believe that is taught in the Scripture. I'm going to read this to you, Genesis 17. I will establish my covenant. He's saying to Abram, Abraham, God's saying, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now, you are now an alien. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, for you, uh, for, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. So he makes a covenant with the, the Jewish people, and he gives them the land of Canaan. Now, so do I feel as a believer jealous or less than as I live today because God made this covenant with Israel? I say absolutely not because through the cross of Jesus Christ, it does not matter where you were born, your skin color, your nation of origin, your language. Because of the cross of Jesus, everyone can accept, has the invitation of God's grace and can accept it. And everyone has equal inheritance in the eyes of God. Okay? So do I feel left out? No. Actually, I feel a little better because we get to eat bacon, pork, and shrimp as well. So I just feel like we got it a little better, okay? So this whole thing with Israel and the Jewish people, Israel was supposed to be a model and a prototype for other nations to look around and see God's blessing upon them. There was no church. There was no Bible. So this was going to be a living testimony that as people served God, the blessing of God would rest upon them. 
Now, Israel had this wonderful opportunity, and then they blew it, okay? Over and over, you see in the Old Testament, they failed they, in its obedience, in their, you know, in their faithfulness to God. They were, you know, in exile. They were, you know, they lost their land. They were under bondage because they did not keep this particular covenant as God, with God. So, uh, Israel in history, really quick, all right? So, the Old Testament shows us that after 500 years, in various forms, the nation of Israel ceased to exist, okay? So, God started this wonderful prototype. Israel became a formal nation, and it lasted, you know, lasted about 500 years. You saw the split of the kingdom, the southern and the northern kingdom, and then you know, they finally turned their back against God. They were overrun, and the nation of Israel ceased to exist. For the next 3,000 years, Jewish people have lived scattered all over the world without a homeland, okay? They had no place to call home, so their, their, their enemies were in charge of their homelands, so they have scattered, and for 3,000 years, Jewish people have lived all over the world, during World War II, six million Jewish people were killed simply for being Jewish. I had the opportunity to go to Dachau when I was in southern Germany a few years ago in the Holocaust, you know, that had occurred there. And I just want, it was just one of the most evil experiences that I ever had in my life. To think that, you, you know, that your total goal is not the domination of land, but the extermination of people, and it was just, as I walked on that, I walked in, walked in those crematoriums, I mean, it was just, it was just sheer evil. In 1948, Great Britain and the United Nations divided the land of Palestine and gave the Jewish people land, and the nation of Israel was reborn. And we got a little map up here, I'm not sure how well you will be able to see that. The green... This was in 48, okay? The green was the nation of Israel. Kind of the orange was the Arab state. So they gave the, the Arabs some land as well. And then right in the middle, the purple is Jerusalem, okay? That they kind of gave to both of those. So in 1948, that's what, you know, that's what happened. Now let me say, if you were like in 1930, and you loved biblical prophecy, and you're looking in the Bible for biblical prophecy, you had a problem because there was no nation of Israel. There was, there was nothing. There was no battle of Armageddon. What are you talking about? How, how can Israel, how can this happen to Israel? How can that? Because there was no nation of Israel for 3,000 years. But in 1948, Great Britain and the United Nations carved out a place, and the nation of Israel was reborn. Okay, now look at this. Israel is the only nation in the history of the world to regain its identity after being moved out of its homeland for 3,000 years. Okay, Israel is the only nation in the history of the world to regain its identity after being moved out of its homeland for 3,000 years. Charles Krauthammer says this, and I love it. Israel is the only nation on earth that inhabits the same land, bears the same name, speaks the same language, worships the same God that it did 3,000 years ago. We do not think that this is luck or good political fortune. 
we believe that it was the hand of God honoring the covenant that he made with Abraham a long time ago that brought this nation back to its identity in 1948, okay? Israel today, there are 7 million Jewish people living in Israel, okay? 7 million Jewish people. There are are others as well. Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. I want to remind you of this that there are Arabs and Muslims that live as citizens of Israel. They have citizenship, they vote, they have some places of self-autonomy as well, but it's the only democracy in the Middle East. The Jewish people as a whole have, ex- have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. We have a common heritage when it comes to the Old Testament, but they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah as a whole. There's some Jews that do and have accepted the Lord, okay? But, but as a whole, they are still waiting on their Messiah. So, we acknowledge, you know, our belief is that we acknowledge the covenant that God made with the people and with the land of Israel. Now, listen to me. But that doesn't mean that we agree with everything that Israel does today. And I'll give you an example. Like, you can, we cannot send missionaries over there. Like, they will, not allow, they will not allow missionaries over there to present the gospel to, to Jews. You cannot, as, as a Caucasian, you cannot convert a Jew. They will, you know, they will send you out. They will not let you stay. We've had AG missionaries that have been sent home. They say it's religious freedom, but really it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a, a, a true religious freedom. So we just, you know, we don't agree with everything that they do, even though we believe that God made this covenant with them as well. Listen to me, this is important. As believers, we believe in the covenant that he made with them, but that does not make us anti-Arab or anti-Palestinian. Amen? Just because we believe in that covenant does not make us, you know, hate different groups of people. We pray and we hope for the well-being and a stable society and some form of self-determination, not just for Palestinians, but all people as well. And that is an important thing for us to note this morning, okay? So when you understand this, about this covenant that God made, you know, it may explain a few things to you, and it may, when you see the news, it may explain why that everything related to this topic is not necessarily of a political origin. We believe that it is supernatural, spiritual warfare that is going on right before our eyes, and we are witnessing it on the news, all right? Now, a couple things to watch. I'm going to give them to you really quick. Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism, all right? Jews have experienced a generational hate unlike any ethnicity on the earth. To me, I believe that it's Satan's response back to the covenant that God made, you know, with, with the Jewish people. And I would say, if you don't agree with that, then what would be your answer to the generational hate of the Jewish people over the period of time? I am not surprised in World War II of one of the most evil men in the world was given over to the extermination of this particular group. You've never seen a a race of people hated like the Jews are hate. It is an illogical hate that is still very present in forms today. We've seen that on the news, and it's still, for whatever reason, still has a foothold in Europe. 
So anti-Semitism, watch Israel continually pressured to give up land. God gave this land, but you see this constant political pressure for them to give the land uh, over that God gave them. Also, Israel's right to exist. You hear that term a good bit. Israel is unique in the fact that there are 10 nations that are calling for its annihilation, okay? No other nation in the world world has anything like that. So, when you understand that this maybe has a little more to do with spiritual warfare than just political posturing, this can bring a little more focus and clarity into the events that we see today. It is amazing that the world is not focused on Rome or Paris or Washington or Los Angeles, but the world is still focused on this dusty little speck of ground in the Middle East with these, with these Jewish people. It's still the focus of the world. And I say, why, why is that? Why is that? So that's the one thing I told you. I'm going to give you two, two big things. One is Israel, the, the, uh, it's, it's um, contract the, the Lord made with them, the covenant the Lord made with them for land and, and with the Jewish people. That's one thing because it's the backdrop of all biblical prophecy. Okay, so just keep an eye on this. The second part of this that I'm going to give you is the return of Jesus, the return of Jesus, okay? Some people are very interested in this when you talk about the return of Jesus. Some are very scared by it when you talk about the return of Jesus. Some doubt it as we read uh, in 2 Peter just a minute ago, but we need to hear about it. We need to be reminded of it, and we need to get this message out that the Lord is going to soon return. Now, I'm going to read, especially if you're new, I'm going to read you like the best, biggest passage that has to do with the Lord's return, and then I'm going to kind of talk about it for a moment. It comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. They're going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read it kind of slow. It says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died so that you do not grieve like rest of mankind who has no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died with him. According to the Lord's word, we will tell you, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There was a debate on those that had died and the resurrection. So then he, in verse 16, he gives some clarity to it. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. That's what's happening on that day. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. He gives just a, in 1 Corinthians 15, just a couple of, you know, just a little verse that kind of gives a little more understanding. 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed 
in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So, I want to say to you that there is a generation that will live, if not now, someday. There is a generation that will live that not everyone will see a natural death and go by way of the grave. But there is a generation that will see the literal, physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So what does the day of Jesus' return look like? So I want to kind of unpack what I read just for a moment in 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, Christ will return visibly with a loud command. Okay, so he's going he's gonna to return visibly. People will see him. It will happen. It will happen very quickly and with a, with a loud command. Now I want to remind you something too. The Bible calls you and I the bride of Christ, okay? So it's kind of like the groom and the bride. Do you remember right before you were married, there's day or a day or so that you can't see each other and your heart longs for each other. And there has been, for thousands of years, there has been a groom that has longed for to be reunited with his bride. And there's also been a bride, even though that we have felt his presence and been encouraged by his word, that has been longing to see the groom. And let me just tell you, that love and intensity is getting greater and greater. So on that day, Jesus Jesus visibly returns. It's like a military, it says it's a shout, almost like a military command, like, like, a, like a general shouting a command. We will maybe, maybe just stop in the moment because the transformation of our physical body into a spiritual body will begin to occur. Then it says there will be an unmistakable cry from an angel like Gabriel, like a second in command, seconding the command of Jesus, kind of like a lieutenant there. Then it says there will be a trumpet blast such as never been heard. Every ear will, will hear this. It's like a military call to attention that will happen, a trumpet, uh, a trumpet call, a call to action. Then believers who are in Christ, who are dead, will rise from their graves. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? We come to this earth as a triune body. Body, soul, and spirit. That's how we come into this earth. When we die, the body remains here. The spirit goes to be with the Lord. The great day of resurrection is when the physical bodies that are still here on the earth are reunited with the, the spiritual body as well. We entered this earth as a triune being. We will leave this earth as a triune being again on the great day of resurrection. I also want to say, as a reminder to you as well, many of us have people who have gone on over. They have died in their faith. Grandmothers and grandfathers and moms and dads this morning who 
who are in the presence of God. And it will be in that day and that moment that the Lord doesn't leave them behind, but they are gathered together in the presence of the Lord, body, soul, and spirit. And then it says, we believers who are alive will rise together in the clouds to meet Christ. So what that means for you and I is those who believe in Jesus and we have put our faith in Jesus of his crucifixion and his resurrection. Those who, you know, we, we have loved him and we've allowed him to take care of the wages of sin for our life. For those of us that he has brought from death to life, that is our moment, and I want to say to you again as well, there may be those of you who are going through trials and tribulation now. You're having uh, issues, you know, of, of faith and sickness and disease. I want you to know in that, that is the moment of your release when we are gathered and captured in the presence of God. Now, what does that day look like for us? Practically, that's theologically. Practically, what does that day look like for you and I? Well, even though that day has been written probably in the calendar of heaven for, you know, for thousands of years, to you and I, that day will look very normal. It will look just like a regular day. Ladies will wake up, your husband's clothes are thrown all over the place. Do not get mad at him on that day. You can't get the kids up. You are late for school, driving like a crazy person. Be careful how you drive and don't yell at drivers because you never know what will happen on that, on that particular day. And then all of a sudden, it's wrapped looking like a normal day. But somewhere in that time, there is a trumpet blast that gets your attention. You are going, what in the world is going on? You hear a voice that is a shout. It is not the voice of a stranger. It's the voice that you've heard in the midnight hour before that said, peace be still. It's the voice that Jesus said, my sheep, they know my name. And then you will hear a trumpet blast that will get your attention and something will begin to happen to your physical body unlike you have felt before. The cellular structure that has held this body together begins to disintegrate. Gravity that has held your body down for, the, for as long as you can remember begins to lift. And before you have a conscious thought of what is going on, you find yourself in the clouds and in the presence of God. <clears throat> And you will not be alone in this. Because all around the world, white skin, dark skin, Asian, every continent under the world, there will be believers that will, that will uh, uh, experience that thing, that same thing. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be, be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And when he comes, 
When it comes, it sets off an unusual sequence of events, all right? Now, I'm going to read you Matthew 24. I'm, I'm going to read you part of it, all right? They're going to put it on the screen. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to read you about 14 verses because I want you to see this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us. They said, When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see that you're not alarmed. Surely these things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn from the faith. Many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then shall the end come. Verse 34, I tell you this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have, have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, for in the days before the flood... People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day until the Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. The other one will be taken and the other left. Verse 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will return. So you must all also, you must also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Okay? All right? I'm going to give you some, some of this stuff just really, really quick. Okay? Some of these clues. Okay? So some things to watch. And I don't have time this morning for every application and every situation on these things. I'm going to give them to you really quick. Okay? You saw it. Okay? What I just read. Wars and threats of wars. Okay? He says, nation against nation, nation states, and then kingdoms against kingdoms. So there will be warfare that won't necessarily be fought by, you know, by, uh, by nation states, okay? We saw the, the war in Israel that just started just a few, you know, a week or so ago. This war was on Yom Kippur. It was on, you know, it was on a, uh, a religious holiday. There were thousands of rockets that were, you know, that were flown into Israel. Hamas gunmen invaded. They took hostages. You've seen it. The bloodshed, the rape of women, the beheading of babies. It was just a, it's just a reminder to us. And it's all about Israel as well. It's just a reminder to the church. Don't go to sleep. All right? Nation against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. It was the, 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 uh, the attacks, you know, from the south and Hamas and, and its support from Iran. 
They lost, you know, about 1,300 people. We have a country of about 350 million people. We lost 3,000 people on 9-11. They are a country of 7 million and lost 1,200. Proportionately for them, it was worse, okay? We see nation rise against nation. We see Russia in Ukraine, okay? Just the slaughter that's been going on. This, this country that we believe that has a prophetic significance. You've got a warmongering China that's just... I, I, I think it's just ready to find the right opportunity to, you know, to be involved in, in, in world war and believe it has biblically uh, prophetic significance. You've got Iran, you know, who the Bible calls, it's Persia. The Bible just kind of calls it out and the, and the role and the influence that it, that it has, you know. And I want to say, I'm not necessarily crazy about our national leaders signing agreements and treaties with people who vowed the destruction of Israel. That is not a political statement as well. That is not a political statement, okay? I think some of our leaders in this area are well-meaning, but they are walking in spiritual blindness and do not understand the prophetic significance of what, of what, they, what they are doing. So that's, that's one thing, okay? That's one thing, wars threats of war, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So it's not necessarily, you know, nation states, but it's kingdom against nation states or some variation of that. Persecution and the death of Christians. He said it. Jesus said this is going to be a clue. One is going to be, war is going to be on the increase. The other is going to be the persecution and death of Christians. And our brothers and sisters around the world are, pay, are, are facing persecution in unprecedented numbers. The U.S. Commission on International Freedom said 80% of all religious persecution happens to Christians. Okay? Almost all of it is based on Christ, for Christians. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it's so pointed toward believers? Threats, boycotts of businesses, house arrest, torture, pressure to recant faith, even death. We are seeing, we're seeing that lived out around the world, all right? We are facing ourselves. We don't have necessarily the threats of guns and swords, but we face here lawsuits, threats, and intimidation. We are going to increasingly be called bigots and hate mongers and, you know, for not accepting, you know, the certain immoral behavior in the world. So there is a persecution that is going to come our way. I can already kind of just see it on the horizon. So things to watch. Christian schools and Christian colleges. They're already feeling pressure, especially our Christian universities. They, they're being threatened with federal funding if they don't accept you know, certain living arrangements in their dorms or they preach or teach something you know, uh, different than, than our, our nation's edict. Uh, Christian schools and Christian colleges, faith-based foster care and adoption agencies. In some states, if you're a faith-based you know, foster care or adoption agency, they have pulled funding from you or they will not allow you kind of exist and work you know, with, the, with the state as well. They're pull, you know, because of the, the belief, the evangelical belief of some of our foster care and adoption agencies, military chaplains. Military chaplains have always served people of all religions 
in, the, in, in, our, in our military. But now they're being faced with accepting something, you know, and, and promoting something that many of them are feeling uncomfortable about. And even within our own U.S. military, there's a pressure on some of our military, on our military chaplains. I want to say the day of persecution is not just going to be offshore. It is going to be here. I have said, and I'm going to say it again, there is a day that I believe that we will have to choose between our tax-exempt status and our freedom to worship, preach, and practice our faith. I think that there is a day that laws and ordinances concerning the gay marriage, LGBTQ issue will be the wedge that comes again, uh, the wedge that drives persecution from the United States government to the evangelical church and I say if that's our choice God has brought us this far we will follow the Lord he will take care of us we're going to honor God and honor God's word <clears throat> some of that is the intimidation to just silence the church and we're not going to be silent until we hear a trumpet blast we're going to live for God. We're going to let every person know that Jesus loves them and saves them. And we're not, we're not going to fall for that. But I'm telling you, that day's coming. Sure, don't want to be a pastor in that time, that's for sure. Moral and spiritual decline, the great falling away. Our nation began with people in search, you know, with freedom to worship. God bless this land. He has. We've not always been perfect. Our history is littered with things that we wish were different when it comes to Native Americans and African Americans. But in our very foundational documents, we say that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God has blessed this land. And in a very short amount of time on the pages of history, we've become one of the nation's greatest, most powerful, prosperous, generous nations that the world has ever seen. We are mostly a good and decent, God-fearing people. How many American dollars have been spent trying to do good in the world with natural disaster and AIDS and refugees and hunger? How many American lives have been lost because we were the counterbalance to evil tyranny and oppression in the world. This blessing that rests upon our nation did not come from the hand of man or the intellect of man. This came from the hand of God to raise this nation up to be a light for him. But I'm concerned. I'm concerned about a, an apostate nation, a nation that has turned its back on God. We look at the Dow Jones and we look at our, our military and we, we go, hey, all is well. But I'm going, no, because morally we are, we, are cave, we, are, we are caving in. Morally we have lost it. We're not a nation that prays anymore. Revelation 3 says, you say I'm rich and I have acquired wealth, but you do not need a thing. He said, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And that is the United States. We are now weary of God 
and religion and the moral restraints that it represents. We are past a moral tipping point as we have walked towards secularism, humanism, materialism, and hedonism. We have chosen our own way. We have chosen the path of secularism. We've tried to silence the voice of the church and we are now seeing the fruit of humanism and secularism that is occurring in our culture and everybody's kind of going, what happened to this great nation? What happened to this great nation? I want to say our only hope is in God. Our only hope is in God. Our only hope is in God. We still, we've had a Supreme Court change, a, a ruling concerning abortion. Roe versus Wade is still, you know, it's been moved back to the states but it's kind of fallen off the radar. But I want to remind you that this is a national atrocity, okay? That if the original sin of this nation was slavery, then the present day, uh, the present day sin is abortion. We are still debating in 2023, debating late term abortions, third trimester abortions. We are even debating what happens when a baby survives, uh, survives an abortion. Some people don't know what to do. We are literally savages in suits and barbarians with college degrees, and we're still shedding innocent blood. Radical redefinition of sex and sexuality. All right. I talked about its implication just a moment ago. There's this cultural acceptance without question. School curriculums are now used, not as introductory, but an advocacy of this lifestyle. You can't say anything opposite, or you will be canceled or silent. You cannot mention the statistics on depression and suicide of those who are in, are in that lifestyle. You can't even mention the word detransitioning because it is not even, you know, they don't even acknowledge that that, that that happens. And it's so ridiculous now that the world's turned upside down that we are allowing uh, men to compete, biological men to compete with women in sports and, and nullifying all the advances in women's sports sports over the years. It's crazy. Isaiah said there's going to be a day when light becomes dark and dark becomes light. Evil is good and good is evil. Folks, we are in that day. We are in that day. Violent crime. And Brent, worship team, you can come. I'm not closing yet. It just makes you feel better if they're up here. <laughs> it's a little trick we get in Bible college. Violent crime, time of lawlessness unlike we've ever seen. Smash and grab, you've seen the videos. No prosecution at all or little prosecution. And there's people are just law, lawlessness is what, what we read about. Inner cities are in bad shape. The homicide rate in the U.S. was seven times higher than the homicide rate in other high crime and developed countries. Okay, what is it about this country? <laughs> Why are we one of the most violent nations? Aren't, aren't we, you know, supposed to be educated? Pornography, regardless of the influence of porn on rape, sexual assault, human trafficking, child porn, and pedophilia, it is never mentioned at all because for some reason it is protected by U.S. law, okay? For some reason there's a protection 
But there is a price being paid for this evil upon children and women. No one wants to take responsibility. The U.S. was named the most, the most porn-obsessed country in the world. All right? Just giving you a snapshot. Where, where are we at? A cold, drifting, loveless church. All right? Liberal churches believing we should not be held hostage to antiquated teachings and practice in light of the advances of technology, denominations giving up the belief in inerrancy of Scripture. I'm just telling you what's happened to the church. Pew Research, one-third of all of those 35 years of age and under report no religious affiliation. We've got a godless generation that's basically coming up, all right? And I want to just say something as a, as a nation, okay? We, we Spiritual warfare is not fought through political parties. Some of you may be looking at the next election because if we get the right person in the right place, then this thing will turn around and you are wrong. We have two godless parties and we have some of the most godless people that have ever been on the forefront of politics before. If you think there's some kind of spiritual renewal that will come from this, this broken system, you are wrong. You are wrong. You are wrong. We need, the only hope that we have is a renewal and awakening. That's the only, that's the only thing that we have. And I want to just remind you to the church, we got to stay on point. Salt always stings. Light is always uncomfortable to those that are in darkness. And the gospel will always offend. We got to stay on point in this moment. Last thing, last thing. This is when I really had Brent come up, all right? The spread of the gospel around the world. The spread of the gospel around the world. So this gospel is going to be preached. That's not going to happen because of some weak need, faltering church. But in the midst of all this is going on, God is going to raise up a strong remnant of the local church that is not afraid and they're not fearful and they don't care about intimidation, that they will take the fiery arrows of the enemy, but they will look to a ripe harvest field and they will keep their eyes on mission. Because there was one other last days thing that I didn't mention. Acts 2. In the last days, says God, right before the end, I will pour out my spirit upon all your people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see, see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He said right before this comes, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is going to empower the church. And they will not, they will not be fearful and they will not be intimidated, but they're going to be on point preaching the gospel. And we're seeing that happen around the world. The greatest revival in the world that's happening right now is happening in the continent of Africa. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 1900, only 9 million Christians were in Africa. By the end of the year 2000, there was an estimated 380 million Christians. They project that in 2025, there will be 633 million Christians in Africa. That dark continent is being turned to a continent of light. To those of you that are native to Africa, I have a question. Why did you come here? I want to go there. But I want to tell you, I think those that God sent here, I think they've sent here to be a blessing to the, to the church of the United States. They've sent here not just for academics, not just for academic pursuit, 
but to keep us on point and keep us, keep us preaching the gospel. So as we close today, if you're lost, if you're away from God, not sure about your heart, heart with the Lord this morning, I want to say to you, wake up. Wake up. Get right with God. Some of you know there's just something that is different about the moment that we are living in. It's just different. Jesus said, all this stuff, when it happens, it's going to feel like birth pains. It's going to be like contractions coming on a woman. Contractions before a birth, they come more frequently and they come with greater intensity, okay? But what that contraction is doing, and, and it's not always visible to those standing aside, but what the contraction is doing is the muscles are working in coordination, pushing that baby ready for its delivery. And I want to, Jesus said, this is all happening. It's like contractions. You see these things, and there are things that are working in coordination prophetically that you and I don't even see or have full understanding on. But he is positioning this world through through these birth pains, through these contractions, bringing about the fullness of prophecy so that there will be a day very soon that the Son of Man will be revealed. The return of Jesus. The return of Jesus. He said in those days it's going to be like Noah. It's going to be like Noah. Noah's building the ark. People didn't even pay attention to it. Said they were laughing, partying, marrying, giving in marriage. Had no idea. He said that's what the world's going to look like before he returns. They're just going to be doing their thing. They're, they're, they're so self-absorbed. They're so into their own social media and their life that they don't realize that around the corner could be the greatest event ever in the history of the world, the return of Jesus Christ. But they're living their own way. He said they, they, they weren't even paying attention to the times that they are living in until the Lord, the Lord ended that moment. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. No one knows. He gives us clues, but no one knows. He gives us clues, but no one knows. All right? But I want to have a question. What if you did know? What if you did know? What if, what if we knew it was going to be 5 o'clock today? What would you do different? What would you do different? Would you make any changes to your life? Would there be any prayers that you prayed? Would there be anything that you do would do if you knew at 5 o'clock today it's all over? What would you do? What would you do? All right? And if you would make a change, if there's a prayer that you would pray, if there's something that you would say to God, then why would you take a chance and not do it now? Why? Today, it's not a day to play with our spiritual lives at all. It's just not. We're too close. There are too many things that are happening that are, that are happening. Why would you, why would you take that chance? 
Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Thank you, Lord. 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 If you are here in this place today, if you're here in this place today, maybe you're watching online as well, man, and you are uncertain about your walk and your relationship with God. Maybe there's been some things that have happened that have separated you. Maybe there have, you know, been hurt. Maybe you've just gotten cold and distant. But if you are here today, you're here today, and you're uncertain about your relationship with God, and you just say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to make things right with the Lord today. Would you raise your hand up and down really quick across this aisle, across this church? Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not a day to play. Not a, not a day to roll the dice again. I'll do it later. It's just not that day. We don't live in that time. We don't live in that time. If we were going to do it later, then why wouldn't we do it now? Why wouldn't we do it now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So in a moment, the worship team's going to sing. I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to, if you raised your hand, I'm just going to ask you to come. I'm going to ask you to walk down here to the front. Somebody's going to pray with you. I want you to make things right before the Lord this morning. Do not leave. Do not be like those in the time of Noah that know the time they live, but they keep on living the same way. Keep on living the same way. Worship team, would you sing? Would you sing this morning? If you're here, I want you to come. If you want to make things right with God, I want you to come. Front, Somebody will come find you and pray with you. Come to the front this morning. Thank you, Lord. I want you to call out to the Lord today. If you're at the front, if you're in your seat, say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, forgive my sin. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to be aware of the times that we are living. God, I pray. Your grace, your mercy. God, let it be revealed. Lord, I pray. These people are calling out to you this morning, Lord. Save, deliver, restore, and heal, and forgive in the name of Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If that's you, pray that prayer this morning. Say, Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, hear me. Lord, hear me. Lord, forgive me. Oh, God, I don't want to be left behind here. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let your church be awake. Let your church be on point. Let your church be fearless, Lord. Let your church be bold. Lord, let us not be worried about cancellation or intimidation. God, with your presence and your spirit, Lord, let us preach your word, God, until we hear that trumpet sound. Let it be a bold church, an on-fire church, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God, we praise you. We praise you today, Lord. 
We praise you today, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.